Al Jazeera Podcasts. The chill of New Hampshire can freeze presidential ambition. That's Al Jazeera senior correspondent Alan Fisher. He's on the ground in New Hampshire, where the U.S. Republican Party is taking stock of what could come in 2024. Donald Trump is not the incumbent. He's essentially run as the incumbent. He's essentially run as the Republican president, as far as the Republican Party is concerned, and swept all before him. A crowded field was narrowed by Tuesday's primary, leaving former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley to go head-to-head with her former boss. There were 14 people in this race, and now there are two. I'm going to finish this so Joe Biden and Donald Trump are not an issue at all. But at the end of the day, Trump still won. He's consistently maintained a strong lead in Republican opinion polls. So as the dust settles in New Hampshire, what happens next? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Dr. Niambi Carter. I'm an associate professor of public policy at the University of Maryland. I'm a political scientist by training with specialty in American politics. I look at not just executive level politics, but uh, race and ethnic politics in the U.S. So Niambi, we are going to talk about Donald Trump, obviously, because he is the front runner on the Republican side in most polls. But I want to start with a few people we may not be talking about for much longer. Former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley had a good run compared to the other Republican candidates. And going into New Hampshire, she was the last major GOP candidate standing. How did she surpass the others? What was her campaign like? I mean, I think so far Nikki Haley has excelled at sort of playing the middle. She didn't do the mudslinging and the name-calling. I think she's tried to hew really closely to policy and demonstrating her expertise both as governor and as UN ambassador. I think of many of the colleagues that were on that stage, I mean, she had the most international experience. Um, So I think she really tried to let the guys fight it out, if you will, and just uh, focus on on who she is and why she's the better choice. Hmm. How do you think a Nikki Haley presidency would actually fare because with the general population, she may not, of course, do as well as she would with her party members. And I'm thinking of very public stumbles that she's taken. Um, Recently, the one that comes to mind when you think of Nikki Haley is the U.S. isn't a racist country. Are you a racist party? Are you involved in a racist party? No. We're, we're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Talk to me about that. Well, look, I do think for some, Nikki Haley offers a reasoned choice. I think by comparison to Donald Trump, she does seem like the more level-headed. Hmm. Donald Trump has never been an office holder before he became the president. Um, and given the fact that he has 91 felonies, Pending, I think Nikki Haley looks like the kind of person we would want in that office. I think she might be the one who makes uh, independents or Republicans who are still on the fence show up in these early contests. 
Now, I think her misstep with that question on race um, was really a missed opportunity to perhaps connect with some of those people of color who might be disenchanted with the Democratic Party Mm -hmm. and thinking about a change. One, because she's from a state like South Carolina, where that Confederate flag was flying when Dylan Roof killed Black parishioners in church while praying. Police say Roof walked into the historic Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, sat down for nearly an hour at a Bible study there, and then opened fire, killing nine people, six women. And that actually led her to removing that Confederate flag during her tenure as governor. Today, we are here in a moment of unity in our state without ill will to say it's time to move the flag from the Capitol grounds. The fact that her name is Nimrata and she uses Nikki, I think is even more of a suggestion about why, um, even if you don't think America is racist, we know that race matters. I mean, she's from the state where the Civil War started in part over the issue of enslavement. So I think that was a missed opportunity uh, for Nikki Haley. I think she came across as sort of um, vapid, maybe, or at least woefully uninformed. So all signs have pointed to Trump winning the Republican nomination for a while now. And that is without him even being on stage at debates in Iowa and New Hampshire. So let's talk about his other main opponents, aside from Nikki Haley. Who were they and did they ever really have a chance? Well, I would say the two big contenders, or at least the people who got a lot of attention, were Vivek Ramaswamy and Governor uh, Ron DeSantis of Florida. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy is a businessman. He was sort of this insurgent candidate that people hadn't really heard of. But I don't think it was ever going to be a real challenge. One, he's never held office. Two, I think his name for many is difficult to say. And we know it shouldn't matter, but it does matter to some. And I don't think as far right as he was trending, I mean, he was one of the first candidates to say that if Donald Trump is convicted on any of these charges, he will pardon him. To say that if I am elected as your next president on January 20th, 2025, I will pardon not just President Trump, but every victim of a politically motivated prosecution. So I don't think moving farther to the right did anything um, for Vivek Ramaswamy. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida actually started with lots of money. He was showing very well before the contest began. He was hard on immigration. He was going after, quote unquote, critical race theory in the state, banning all diversity, equity and inclusion measures, even talking about what could be taught in in colleges, right, in universities in the state. As much as people were interested in him because he was sort of like Donald Trump without all the baggage, (laughs) at some point it became clear that he was just sort of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Because despite all the money he had, he just couldn't connect with voters. People were not as invested in him as Donald Trump because As you noted, Malika, Donald Trump hasn't been at any of these debates. He hasn't really participated in any of the formal election activities, yet his 
body was everywhere. I mean, his name is everywhere. I mean, even the candidates themselves can't get through a debate without mentioning his name. Hmm. So I think, you know, Ronald DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, to their own detriment, were also very, very deferential to Donald Trump when he's their competitor. So I think they really undid their own campaigns, quite frankly. Hmm. You said to their own detriment, and yet one must imagine that the calculations for them is mentioning him and bending over backwards must do good things for me. Maybe I can win over some of those Trump voters. Where does that calculation come from? I mean, I think they're right. I mean, the Trump voters are a very vocal and very active wing of the Republican Party at this point. But when you're trying to win a contest, you're not running for second best. Mm -hmm. You're running to win. And I think they should have taken a page out of Trump's book because Trump has been name calling. Right. I mean, he was calling uh, Ron DeSantis de sanctimonious. (laughs) My gosh. In New Hampshire, we have a 47 percent to de sanctimonious with 13 percent. And by the way, I think for some, it's like these people aren't running to be president. They're running to be Donald Trump's vice president. Mm. They're running to be second choice. I know we like to think of people as having humility and being humble and all of these things. But I think that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump has been so popular for so long is because he's never hidden his desire for power. He's never shied away from his ambition. He's never shied away from wanting to be the most powerful person in the world, quite frankly. And I think all of these other people were saying, well, you know, he's He's our guy. We're like him. But it's like, if you're like him, then why don't I just get him? Mm. I don't need the carbon copy of Donald Trump. I want the original. After the break, why several high-profile court cases aren't stopping the endorsements for former President Trump. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI. And I've inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. So, Niambi, for people outside of the United States, and let's be honest, for people right here in the U.S., (laughs) it might look like just two states get to decide who will end up running against Joe Biden in November. What do we need to know about how we elect presidents in this country? Walk me through a caucus and a primary and what it takes to win the nomination. Okay. So America, I think, as you rightly point out, has this very... um, difficult or unusual system where we have elections before the big election. In a caucus, essentially it's a public meeting where partisans come and declare who they want to support in the general election when we all get to vote. A primary is more like the elections we're all used to where you cast a secret ballot and people may not know. So these primaries and caucuses will continue throughout the spring. But usually people look to Iowa and look to New Hampshire as a bellwether for who is going to continue in the race. Hmm. So then what do you make of the idea that these aren't very representative Mm -hmm. of 
the democracy at large and the rest of the country. So then why do we start our elections with these mini elections? So I think you you raise a really good point. And this is one of the critiques that people have of these mini elections, if you will, is because these early elections tend to only represent the people who most who are most active, most engaged, the most partisan. People often say we get the most extreme candidates from these early contests. Meanwhile, the race for the Democratic nominee hasn't even really started yet. Here's Al Jazeera senior correspondent Alan Fisher again. The reason that the Democrats aren't holding a primary that counts here is that they don't think it's representative of the rest of the country, that it's too white, that it's too small, that it's not representative of the great mass of the American public. For the Democrats, it's essentially going through the motions and... You know, Joe Biden isn't even on the ballot. Some have been asking supporters to write his name on the ballot as a show of support. But not everyone is interested. So a number of Democrats here in New Hampshire uh, urged people to write the word ceasefire on their ballot. It's a clear message to Biden because his position on supporting Israel in Gaza has alienated a huge number of young Democratic voters. And so if this ceasefire initiative gets enough votes. Joe Biden has got to pay attention or else his team will realize he's in big trouble. So, Niambi, taking it back to New Hampshire and the Republican Party, Trump is embroiled in multiple legal proceedings and the Supreme Court is likely to weigh in on several high-profile cases regarding his conduct. Former President Trump is facing more legal challenges just weeks before the Republican nominating season begins. Efforts to remove his name from the ballot, citing the insurrection clause in the Constitution, are pending in multiple states. Could any of that stand in his way? I would like to say yes. I would like to say that felonious conducts or the allegation of felonious conduct would be enough to disqualify any person, regardless of party, from holding such a position of power. But it doesn't seem that it's going to be an obstacle to Donald Trump. I think for his partisans, um, his his loyal, most loyal supporters, they will not walk away from him. And it looks like the Republican Party won't either. I mean, we've seen a number of people endorse him. Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina endorsed him over Nikki Haley, who is from his same state. That's unusual. Um, We have, you know, Ronald DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy saying they endorsed Donald Trump. We still have a Republican Party that has not censured him in any real way. And so I just think we are in really uh, dangerous and uncharted territory. Finally, Niambi, we touched on this, but I want to delve a little bit deeper. Um, because for you, as a trained political scientist, <laughs> I wonder if you could help us understand why a majority of Republican voters hope to see another Trump presidency. What is it about him that results in this unwavering support despite felony charges, a potential further indictment, this march for his role in the January 6th insurrection, something that I know most people never thought that they would live to see in the United States? How do you explain that? 
As a political scientist, I think about how people relate to power. And what I think Donald Trump offered was an ability to revel in whiteness in a certain kind of way and to tell people that their grievances about political correctness, about inclusion, that there was a space for them in this America and that all of the problems that existed in America, that he was going to fix it. And in some of their minds, he did. He had three Supreme Court nominees who were very conservative. And I want to be clear that his pull is not just with with white people. There is also a, a subset of Latinos, of Black men, that find his particular display of masculinity to be empowering. He's told them there's a problem and I can fix it. And they believe he can. And, you know, unfortunately, even with all the evidence, there are still people who believe that the election was stolen. There's still people who are willing to risk their health and safety to do this again if Donald Trump does not win again in 2024. And that tells us something about how disaffected people are. It also shows us how delicate our democracy is. And I don't know that we appreciate how much Trumpism, not necessarily Donald Trump, Hmm. is dangerous to democracy because of its sort of autocratic tendencies. Democracy is a very delicate thing. It's a beautiful thing when it works, but it can also be upended. And that's The Take. A special thanks to Al Jazeera producer Anar Virji for her help with this story. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Sariel Khalili with David Enders, Ashish Malhotra, Miranda Lynn, Khalid Sultan, Zaina Badr, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliayi, Faranisa Kampana, Chloe K. Lee, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Joe Plord mixed this episode. Alexandra Locke is the Takes Executive Producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's Head of Audio. We'll be back. <laughs>